What is up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Prog Pod. Today, I'm super excited about this episode. It's been a little while in the making. We have a peace officer from Nevada, Josh Ivins, in the house. You're also a father, is that correct? Yes. How many kids do you have? I have three. Three girls. Three girls. Okay. So, first of all, let's just start off. What inspired you to become a peace officer? I think first and most simply is I wanted to serve people. Um, I have a lot of different facets of my job, and I think within each of them, the, the base desire was to serve people. Um, I like to help people. I like to help them to enjoy the things that they get to go out to do. Um, I want to make sure that they can do it safely and to help others to enjoy their time out as well. So yeah, that's that fantastic. My reason. Yeah, that's great. I love um, I love when I see the police car with the protect and serve against the side of it. Now sometimes they have like those undercover ones that that don't say it, but I love when I am reminded that that that's what it's all about, and that's what most people who go into law enforcement or go into some service occupation that's what they're there for it's yeah. a good reminder for all of us to have that so yeah um what was your first response when you heard about the killing of george floyd within the context of being an officer for the purpose of serving so initially most officers are going to look at that they're going to look at a tactical situation and i'll be honest with you i was, I was disturbed to say the least yeah um i did not know the background on it you know i heard the blips and pieces that the media had come out with and i was disturbed yeah. Um, as I think most peace officers were. Uh, I always try to go in and look at the background on it because I don't want to assume what was happening. And after doing that, I think I became more probably angry um, and frustrated, and mostly because the reason is that I did not see any articulable reason why he should have used that kind of force. So as an officer in the training I've received, I, I disagreed with it fully, and it made me frustrated because there's nobody that hates bad actions taken by a cop than other cops that we just right. we don't like to see it. it it disturbs us and we know there's better ways of doing it and taking care of those situations yeah. so i think those are my initial feelings and even now looking at it uh there was no arguable reason for him to to do that he was in custody and he should have been treated as a, a person in custody right and that's make sure that their their physical health is the top priority at that point so yeah again the the purpose of serving even when when it's a criminal that you're serving and serving looks a little different maybe service includes some amount of force in that context but still the the idea is to serve i think that everybody who who saw the video or who heard about it later on was disturbed but i think that is interesting the context you bring of being a police officer because i'm disturbed and it scares me and it agitates me but you take the consequence of that now when people see uh an officer they're going to think of that event, whether, whether you like it or not. And it, it must be saddening for, for you to have to go through that. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so during your time serving, have you ever witnessed uh, racist or prejudiced actions within the system? So is this event that happened to George Floyd, we know it's not isolated because it's happened to, to lots of lots of other, other people, but is that something that's built into the system automatically from your experience i i don't believe it's built into the system um and i'll explain myself a little bit on that is that i believe that inequality is usually found within the individual whether it's law enforcement officer or other person that has any kind of authority that can act upon it it's usually found within the individual um that being said everybody has biases i don't believe that there's a person here on this planet that doesn't have a bias of some sort now the question is whether we act upon those biases or we Mm -hmm. do not and how we act upon them 
Right. Um, I've been fortunate to work in areas as well as with groups of people that I feel that their main job, that they feel like their main goal is to serve and to help people. So inequality has not been found. Now, have assumptions been made by individuals I've worked with? Yes, they have. It's it's inherent in the job. But at the same time, they act on it in a way that it doesn't bring inequality into the system. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like to look at our laws as well. As most states, you look at the, the laws that are associated with the general public and how we react to them. They're not written with a minority group or idea in mind. They're written for the, the people as a whole. I, I have not. Now, that being said, I do not believe that people are perfect everywhere, and I know that there are bad law enforcement officers mm-hmm. that make bad decisions out there. It's, yeah. it's going to be just like every other group has bad apples in it. Right. So, but in my career, for, fortunately, I've not had that six circumstances to, to have to deal with that. Yeah. I think it's interesting to uh, <clears throat> contemplate how, how much gut feeling must be a part of your job how much you have to go off what you feel and you're in tense, um, high stakes situations where you just have to act. And it, it could be easy for, like you said, the bias of certain individuals to come into play when they think it's a, a gut feeling or something that they need to act on. But that's definitely true. It's a person to person basis. But yeah. um, when I think back into history, even in the constitution, um, where originally it said that a black man was three-fourths of a man or whatever fraction. I Part of me wonders if that is completely flushed out of our system yet. Maybe in the laws it is, but still in our mindsets, it's the thing we need to change. Yeah. From an once individual again. person. <clears throat> yeah, I, I believe that's true. Um, and, and I think depending on the area you're in, there's obviously mm-hmm. different feelings towards different minorities. I mean, and a minority can be any group, really, just depending right. on the area. It's all how wide a base you want to put that onto. Yeah. Uh, so... There probably is still some of that mentality, mm-hmm. but I believe that we've got a lot of laws out there that are helping to protect, you know, inequalities from happening yeah. based on law itself, and it's just yeah. kind of left up to the individual yeah. actions. The laws are actually, we're getting to the point now where it's com- combating the bias, and it's yeah. moving in the right direction. Yeah. Um, yeah. So how can the people unite with the police to help bring greater <laughs> unity and to really support peace officers like you in your purpose of serving? So I think one of the biggest things is, and I found this in my life and I've been victim of it myself, is is uh, being ignorant on different things. So I think mm-hmm. the biggest thing we can do to come together between law enforcement officers and civilians and different groups is we need to understand one another. If we yeah. don't have a basic understanding of the differences between different communities and groups, we're never going to be able to relate to help one another. Yeah. Um, with that being said, I don't think we're always going to agree on certain topics but it doesn't mean that we can't work together for middle ground and an understanding and a solution that way. For sure. Um, I, I've also felt a big thing is, is what are we doing in our homes with our families? How are we educating within our homes and our families to help understand how to be, you know, good people. And I'm not saying this for just civilians or just officers. I'm saying for both groups is how can we become better people as a whole to where we can become more understanding and more, willing to serve one another rather than to put stakes in only ourselves because we all live on this marble together. Right, so. yeah. And we're, we're seeing more and more with even other issues different than racism, different than any bias, that this marble, we need to take care of it. <laughs> and it's yeah. it's a everybody deal. It's not just for yeah. me and it's not just for you because we're both, we're both 
stranded here, you know? Yeah. I think we've got some really good examples of how we need to serve one another right now is that we've got, you know, the COVID-19 mm-hmm. pandemic. Yeah. Uh, huge problems with that, not only with the disease itself, but with, you know, financial problems within families. I mean, yes. our domestic violence rates have gone up hugely. Our overdose yeah. with drugs, suicides are way up during this, as yeah. well as we've got a huge problem with human, tra- human trafficking right now. Yes, for sure. Um, and it's not going to be fixed unless all of us come together and we try to work on it together. And that means mm-hmm. every individual group and everything. So yeah. I think we really have an opportunity to serve. And I think that's going to help in a you know, full circle is that if we are willing to work with one another, we're going to solve problems rather than we're going to cause them. So Yeah, that's a great concern of mine, actually. Is yeah. During this time, like you said, a lot of different problems have been brought to the table and sort of heightened in our minds. Just we're starting to recognize them more. I don't know if it's because we're all stuck in our homes because of COVID-19 or what it is, but directly after George Floyd, the killing of George Floyd, which is a huge event that I feel like, even though it could have been something that brought us together in a lot of areas, it isolated us and and separated the people and the police. And then right after that, something that's being brought to the table, which has always been important, but is even more important now, is human trafficking and the issue of human trafficking. And Tim Tim Ballard is bringing that to the table and bringing more attention to it. But now it's hard for the police and the people to work together because we've just seen just an, just an example of a bad cop. One, or well, there were a few officers involved in the killing of George Floyd, but yeah. still, you know, not the whole group, just a few individuals yeah. who made bad decisions. And I think the way that we mend that is like this, you and me speaking here together. Okay. So you're not just a peace officer. I'm not just, a, yeah. we're just humans, you know? And yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Just one of the communication there. cool things, uh, you know, I work in a different agency for law enforcement. We have a variety yeah. of them within the state. One of the coolest mm-hmm. things I've been able to do is do ride-alongs with law enforcement. And they usually oh, let, you know, as long as you get the right, uh, you know, permissions, you can go on a ride-along with them and kind of understand their job a little bit better yeah. the things that they go through. So, neat opportunity. Um, you know, likewise, we as officers, we kind of live in our own little world. We associate with more officers and things like that. So yes. Are we getting out amongst the groups in our communities and seeing that's a huge help to, to understand where they're coming from and the, the goals that they have mm-hmm. to accomplish them. So, Yeah, the cooperation both ways. And seeing that, that police are people, which which explains not only the the negative actions taken by police, but also helps us to have a little more insight into the motivation of most officers, which is to bring, which is to bring protection and service to the people. That's a, that's a human thing. We all want to care about each other and take care of each other. And sometimes it's hard to see past the uniform to that, even though it's another human being inside the uniform. So you mentioned, um, you have the same training and authority as highway patrol and sheriff's deputy. Is that correct? Okay. So a lot of the same, the same um, insight into the system that any yeah. other law enforcement officer would have. Okay, so what clear next steps do you see for our nation in addressing these injustices that are still taking place? We talked a little bit about the laws, how it's um, being improved, but what else do we need to do because it's still happening? Yeah, I think once again, it's going to be held to a a personal accountability. Um, I think especially in these cases where we've seen bad examples through law enforcement officers, it's usually not the first instance of a problem. And we need to be paying closer attention to each officer um, to make sure that they are following the protocols, that they are, you know, making sure that people's rights are kept and that 
they're there to serve to um, de-escalate a situation as soon as possible. And when we start seeing problems, do they need to be retrained? They need to be disciplined and maybe even, you know, considered to be terminated as a a peace officer. I think that's going to be one of the biggest steps because blanket policies are not going to solve all the problems. There's still going to be bad apples if you're not weeding out the bad apple. Yeah. Um, I think if you look back into the history of um, the officer who was kneeling on, on George Floyd, that was not the first incident. Like you said, there were, there were things that could have hinted towards that in the past. So sort of on that same line of thought, how can good police officers who are there for the right reasons keep the bad police officers or the bad apples accountable for their actions? Uh, it takes courage, but I think the biggest thing is, sure. is that when a good officer sees a bad officer making a bad decision is try to stop them immediately. I mean, we yeah, there's actually laws written into most policy for agencies to do such and yes. that officers can be held accountable if they do not. Um, but it takes a, a huge amount of courage to do that, but it's mm. part of the job. It's what we're here for. And it's super, super important for us to be able to serve the public that they have faith in not just individual officers, but the, the agency as a whole. Yeah. So I think that's the biggest thing we can do is, is stop it immediately. And if you see it, it's got to be, you got to take care of it. I mean, obviously right. there's, we're government agencies. There's, you know, red tape all over the place as far as getting things done, but yeah. you just got to work through it. Yeah. Where I work at the Boys and Girls Club, well, <laughs> I, I recently quit at that job, but we had this little piece of paper that we learned during our first training, which was like the steps of conflict resolution. And it's really, really simple stuff. As a parent, I'm sure you've used it, you know, thousands of times. And it's, it's simple, it's just like go to, go to the child, ask them what's wrong, ask them what action we could take to like fix the situation, and then follow up. Just ask them how it went. So you went and you punched Tommy, and then you went and apologized to Tommy. Did he, like, how did that go, you know? So I'm curious, is there a certain built-in, step-by-step um, uh, situation for that when a bad officer does something wrong? Do you have the steps written in of what you need to do to keep him accountable? I think it's kind of a case-by-case basis upon what's okay. happening. Um, obviously, in something in the case of George Floyd, that's very step-by-step. There's going to be yeah. definite things written down that have to take place for remediation or action mm-hmm. to be taken. But on the smaller stuff, that's where we really need to start is we can't start when the big problem rises. We need to yeah. start the smaller situations. And at that, it's really not. I think the biggest thing is uh, you know, supervisors, it kind of falls under the line of supervisors. Okay. Are they watching their individual officers? Are they spending time with them? And are they correcting the small mistakes so that they don't become larger mistakes? Yeah. And not even mistakes. Um, sometimes they're, uh, you know, actions that are meant that yeah. are not just bad, you know, just bad choices by yeah. incident. So I think that's the biggest thing is start small. Um, mm. And with those, most of the time it can be just, you know, like a verbal correction. Um, if it goes further, it's going to be, you know, obviously something on paper that, you know, it's there, it's permanent, it's in black and white. Okay. So, so I think we've got to move, start with those. Yeah. Would it be helpful in your perspective to have um, a prescribed step-by-step, um, uh, just a, a, I don't know, instructions in place to keep yeah, fellow officers? Yeah. W- would that be helpful? Or is it easier to just do whatever you feel is necessary in that different situation? whether it's speak up or whether it's tell your supervisor, whatever it is. Yeah, and I think in most parts, some of that's, you know, like we, we do have reporting policy in most agencies that they're, you know, if you see an incident that was not, you know, 
you, you it wasn't right. Yes. You have a certain amount of hours or days to report that. So there is somewhat oh, okay. of a system that way. Yeah. Um, I think it's more the instruction needs to be on, okay, what would be considered above and beyond the line where you need to go take a certain step towards fixing that problem. Right. I think that would be helpful, you know. Uh-huh. Um, and once again, everything is kind of case by case. So you'd have to keep it somewhat, I don't want to say vague, but you'd have to keep it open enough to where you don't have so much that you don't understand. You know, you can't yeah. write a book on it or nobody's Yeah, you can't it. write down every single possible scenario of what an officer yeah. could do. Okay. Not only that, they're not known. I and mean, that's, you know, where case law comes in is like, oh, this happened and it's never been dealt with before. We've got to obviously approach this with a new law or with new, you know, policy. New policy. So. Okay. Yeah. So certain extremists <laughs> um, have have lost faith in law enforcement as it is and I think I've, just my perspective is that anyone who goes into a service position whether you're a nurse whether you're a doctor whether you're a police officer whether whatever it is they are a hero you know they're there to serve and they're there to help and sometimes there are mistakes sometimes there are bad apples just like you said but also there are so many people who um, often find themselves in opposition with with police or with authority who are activists who uh, people like Martin Luther King Jr. and I know he lived in a different time but still there was a lot of opposition between him and and the establishment and a lot of these individuals are proposing ideas like defunding the police what's your perspective on that would would the world just go up in flames is that uh, worth trying um no, I, I don't think – defund the police is a very uh, broad term. Okay. Um, is it taking all the money from the law enforcement agencies or is it defunding por- certain portions of it? Is yeah. it taking out certain services of the police? It, they don't say. They just right. say defund the police. I don't think that's a correct action. Yes. Um, now, do I believe that every agency can reallocate money to be better purposed, mm-hmm. such as for training or for work in, you know, taking care of problem officers or in making sure that our – equipment is adequate so that we don't have to use you know more violent force if necessary right i I mean i think those could be a lot better purposes i it terrifies me to think of some of our larger population cities of not having some type of authority there to take care of the big problems when they're there and one of the big things is is i I think of situations like the las vegas shooting that happened several years ago What, what happens in those circumstances when there's nobody there to respond? Yeah. Or in that case, who are you going to have respond if the police are not there or they're not suited to, to mm-hmm. approach that kind of situation? Mm-hmm. And once again, it goes to you're defunding the whole agency, whereas a good portion of those officers are good officers. They're making good choices every yeah. day, and they're having a huge impact on their the society around them. What happens yeah. when they're gone? Yeah. Yeah. And that's a question we can't answer because, I mean, law enforcement's been in humanities for a long, long time. Right. And it's, yeah. it's something that scares me to think if we don't have a plan of how are we going to take care of the problems if the police aren't there. But most mm-hmm. of these places don't have a plan in place. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's defund the police and that's it. Yeah. Which is a, a fearful response. Yeah. I think it's important to recognize that even though there are still these incidences and these terrible tragedies that take place in our society – like the killing of George Floyd, like the killing of many others, we still need to recognize that this is the best it's ever been. Like this is the highest operating society that we have record of ever on the face of the earth, pretty much. The United States of America, we have it better than anybody else. Yeah. And that that is not to excuse these terrible tragedies that still happen, but we need to have a little bit of uh, celebration and recognition of how well we have done 
and then keep on pushing forward in the areas where we still need some work. I think yeah, I together. agree. Um, and one thing you, I, I really agree that this is this is probably the best we've ever been. Can it be better? Of course of it course. can. But whose response? Whose responsibility is it to make it better? And I think it's each of us. Yes. Each of us have a role to play in that. And if we're not actively pursuing that, then we're not really there to make things better. And I think that's super important for each of us to remember: is what are we doing to better our community around us and the people around us? Mm-hmm. And better, better for me is better for everybody. Yes. <laughs> if I if I yeah, work in around. my little community to to make it better here, it's going to be a ripple effect across the nation and across the world. Yep. I think really the the sign of a of a healthy nation and of a healthy group of people is the people around them flourish as well, even yep. on an individual basis. Like if the people in my life, if my family, if my good friends are not doing well then I'm not really being that successful in my life. If I help clean the weeds out of my neighbor's yard, I don't get weeds in my yard. So Yes, yeah, yeah. That's a great way of thinking about it. And I think that idea can be applied when you're thinking of the bad apple officers. If I take care of the people in my department, then it's better for everybody. It's better for me and it's better for the people that live in my community. And you'll see that, you know, especially in these bigger agencies where they have multiple departments within it. If you've got a really good, you know, respectable, especially authoritarian figure in there, you, you have better reaction out. If your workers are happier, they're better, they make better choices. They're usually better trained because they take it more seriously. It, it works all around. And I really like that point that you bring up to see, you know, it's we help one another. It helps us back. So. Right. Yeah. The main thing getting in the way of that is just the division um, when we see other people as different than, than us. And that's the yep. reason that these officers killed George Floyd is because they saw him as different because he was on drugs or because he was black or we don't really know the reason because he was in poverty. But I think the same thing happens with with civilians looking at police and thinking that they're different. And maybe it's a fear. Maybe it's a stigma. And just seeing ourselves as different. Have you ever felt that when on the job, just wearing the uniform, have you ever felt unsafe or judged for for just being different? Yeah, I, I do. Um, I've never really felt like my life was in danger. Okay. But at the same time, there's always that idea that, you know, you can tell when people are uncomfortable around you. And, mm-hmm. you know, my my point of view is is that I, people that are uncomfortable around me, I don't know what their actions are going to be. So it makes yeah. me nervous. Um, it makes me nervous with my family. Um, I live in a small rural community. Everybody knows who I am and everybody knows my profession. Yeah. And so it makes me nervous with my family. But at the same time, there are so many good people out there that I, I kind of lose that worry with knowing that I have good neighbors and good support around me. Yeah. Uh, there, There is judgment. But I found in my career, one of the biggest things I've been able to accomplish, I feel, is that I do not enforce laws. I educate on laws. Um, so okay. I'd really like to go in and to help people understand, hey, this is why we're taking action with you is because you can't do this because it affects these people this way and a lot of times if i can get away with it with hey there's no citation i'm going to give you a warning mm-hmm. i'm going to do that every opportunity i can yeah. obviously there are certain actions that are taken that i have to react upon yes um, of course. and i think the more i've done that the more people understand the position i'm in and i think those biases towards law enforcement can go away as long as we go in and educate people this is why we're taking the actions we're taking mm-hmm. Ed- education really is the key because education prevents it from happening the next time. Because yes. the next time they go to commit that crime, which a lot of a lot of the issue in our in our system is that people just keep on going to jail. Like they once they get in the system at a young age, whatever it is, they just keep on being put through the same process. But if they're educated rather than punished, 
I think that can yeah. really have a big effect in breaking them out. It is. It's a vicious cycle, no doubt about it. Um, and I think there's a lot of different ways to educate. Obviously, you know, you make bad decisions, there are going to be bad consequences. Yeah. But at the same time, you can use those consequences in a, a creative way, in a productive way to make right. people understand, hey, these are not the consequences I want for my life. Can I do something different that will better myself? Yeah, so, yeah. Um, and you see that. Uh, I actually have some really good friends that were definitely on the opposite side of the law that I am. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they've recognized that, their choices were not only hurting themselves but other people and they've changed you know full circle and we're, we're real now really good friends whereas you know in the past we would have not been very good friends at all so right. it's just a part of learning and bettering ourselves once again is are we taking responsibility for our, each of our own actions whether we're law enforcement and taking sure making sure our actions are appropriate on that side or whether we're civilians and our actions are appropriate for society as a whole so what might be some steps for somebody who recognizes a little bit of bias towards police in their in their mind and they want to cure that they want to stop that how can somebody learn more about police officers about peace officers so that we can really inspire the spirit of cooperation um i think the biggest things get to know them and i'll be honest mm -hmm. with you law enforcement officers like to talk we talk we talk <laughs> we talk we're very sarcastic yeah um come talk to us most of us if you approach us say hey i just want to chat and ask you some questions we're going to answer them. So, and that's the same thing as with us. We can always turn around and you, hey, there's a group that we don't understand. We're going to yeah. go talk to them. We're going to get to know them. Yeah. And I've actually had some really good uh, reactions that way. Is the job I work, I have to go into large crowds sometimes. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's in certain scenarios that aren't so good. But if I go in there and I start to get to know them and understand them, the, it usually works out a lot better than otherwise. So. Yeah. I think we saw with a lot of the peaceful protests that happened in, in light of George Floyd's killing that we were starting to see some of that communication and social media really opens up the door for a lot of that because I saw yeah. several videos of of sheriffs or police chiefs in a group of protesters talking or yeah. giving hugs to people who were hurt because it's a situation where people are hurt both peace officers are hurt uh, members of the black community are hurt people in the world are hurt when they see something so evil take place and so when we're hurt we need to come together not separate apart yeah yeah those are great things to see um you know really appreciative when people try to come to collaborate like that yes uh you know as peaceful protests is super important in our in our society they've yeah. been used since the beginning of our you know foundation of our country right is they're necessary they um, were the foundation of our country yeah it's, <laughs> it really was i think the biggest thing is is are we making sure they're peaceful are there any innocent bystanders that are being hurt and if so yeah. then we need to kind of reevaluate ours our way of going about it mm -hmm. and i think every side of every facet of society needs to be able to protest their beliefs in one way or another yes so um, but good, good to come together right <clears throat> going back to that idea of defunding the police is there any um, version of that 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 makes sense to you a lot of the examples of the protests that i saw just on social media people posting the protests that they were at the police looked very intimidating they have you, you know that the uniform they have on the helmet the face shield the the vest and everything and i understand the reason for that i understand that they need to be protected but at the same time i almost think that some of that could inspire violence be could scare people into making the situation more violent than it needs to be what's your stance on that uh i, I think it's a slippery slope on both sides mm -hmm. obviously i think that we do not need to militarize per se yes but at the same time 
our officers want to go home to their families at night. Right. And they deserve to. And we don't know what's going to happen. So once again, I think it comes down to, especially a personal responsibility on the officer side is, yes, I have this equipment. I have these tools. Am I going to use them appropriately? Yes. And that's a big part of it. Uh, on the other side is people need to understand why they're carrying it and what it is. You know, I think kids are a great example. You know, if I have my, my full duty belt on and all my gear, kids are curious. They yes. want to know what real <laughs> what's real thing is works. You know, the taser is a really good example. It's a big, bad thing. I've been hit by a taser. Yes. It was the most uncomfortable five seconds of my life. Guess what? Mm-hmm. Afterwards, I felt like a million bucks. Mm-hmm. It's all about perspective and knowledge of what yeah. all the equipment is. Um, yeah. It's it's hard because I, I don't like wearing all that gear. And I can guarantee you 90% of the officers that wear it do not like it. It's yes. not comfortable. It's unfun. And it's a lot of responsibility. Right. At the same time, I think, are we... Are we focusing so much of our energy and our resources to the defensive side? Are we not going on the offensive? And what I mean by that is are we going on the offensive with are we better trained with mental illness problems? Are we better trained with being able to de-escalate situations? I think we could definitely use some of those resources more on those sides of the job. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's hard because usually, especially in mental illness cases, one of those situations to where usually it's not known there's nothing known about it until it goes bad yeah and so it's is there a way that we can try to fix that to where we can stop the problem before it escalates to the point yeah. to where it goes bad and i think that's where we can really really you know set some of our resources to mm-hmm. better use yeah just all- allocation of funds really is all it is to yeah, de-escalation is. tactics rather than than forceful things that are not going to be good for anybody yeah, and most you know most states have their they have a post which is the police officer sta- uh, standards and training. Um, okay, that's where you go initially to train. They have a set amount of training you have to do on each different subject that there is, and you have to do it annually. You have to you don't have to go back to the academy every year, but you have to yeah. do the amount of training that they they require. Um, I think that there can be additions into that to, and obviously it's going to cost more funds. That's yeah. that's the hard thing about it is it costs more money. But Hopefully, it doesn't cost training, more lives though. Yeah, can it save lives? That's yeah. that's the big thing. That's what we're there for. And can it serve people better? You know, is it going to get people the help they need yes. earlier? You know, especially in the situations where it's drug use or mental illness or things like that, where people really just need help. They need a very specific mm-hmm. type of help. Yeah. And can we give that to them? And can we direct them in the right direction? And one of the scary things for me is that how many states have very very little programming for like mental illness or for drug use and stuff like that. You know. Right. Um, you know, a lot of agencies that they have that that specific individual that has these problems, and they kind of get kicked down the road because there's no resources to help them out. We need to fix that problem. Yeah, yeah. The problem of trying to solve too many issues with a jail cell. Or yes. <laughs> but right now, it's the only resource we have, and yeah. so where else do we send them at that point? So yeah, and I really think that maybe not the law enforcement system, but the justice system, as far as uh, unfair incarcerations and just too many incarcerations of people who maybe instead need medication or need treatment are just put in jail instead. I think that part of the system is messed up, but that's not to say that I know how to fix it. I'm not smart <laughs> enough to fix it. I don't think any one person is, but it's going to take that cooperation and that communication between yeah. groups to nobody wants to be in jail and nobody wants to put other people in jail that shouldn't be there. No, and I think society as a whole is a little tired of jail, too. It costs mm-hmm. a lot of tax dollars, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah. And it, it's hard for us because we're the first line in that system. Yeah, and you so don't actually decide point. whether they go to jail or not. No, we, we just decide whether they go in to be tried to go to yeah. jail. That's yeah. that's our only thing, and we take it upon 
at the time side of what we see and the knowledge we have at that point, we take action on it. So it's mm-hmm. it's difficult because then decisions are made later down the system that make people more angry and more frustrated. And we don't necessarily have a huge part on that. Now, can we help? Yes, we can make sure that our cases are solid and set so that when we yeah. do go and we're prepared to give the argument we need so that better judgments and decisions can be made later on. Yes. But at the same time, we can't fix the bad apples that are further up the line. So Right, yeah. Just following through with the system, seeing... <clears throat> investing in the person that you're that you're dealing with that you are at the court trying to help and to serve making sure that yeah. if jail is what they need which some people should go to jail then yeah then that's where they go <laughs> i had i had a really neat circumstance i was working with another officer and we'd stopped the gentleman that had had problems with drugs and mm-hmm. it's it was not the first time um before it had been pretty you know entry-level drugs light stuff not a, you know big deal but we found him in possession of methamphetamines, um, yeah. which then becomes a huge problem. And more of the cases that we knew this gentleman personally, and we didn't want to see that. And so yeah. this other officer made a really good decision. He says, here's the deal. I'm going to take these actions. If you promise me that you're going to go in to talk to the judge to see if you can get help for this. He's like, that's what we really want to do is we want to help you through this problem rather than send you through the system again right. and go, you know, go full circle where we're just doing this again. I think it was a really good decision made by this officer is that he's really trying to work with this person. He knew him personally. And that's really where it comes down to is, are we, do we have an investment into this person and into yeah. the society we work within? So, yeah. And even when you can't know the person personally, like, like that, if you know the community and you know, you know, maybe one of their family members, maybe, you know, the, the, the part of town that you, that they live in cause you drive by it. Um, yeah. Just having a little bit of insight into their lives can give you a lot of empathy and go a long way in, in, in caring about them like a human being should, in breaking down those walls that we separate ourselves with and yeah. wanting what's best for the other person, which I yeah, think I most love, people do. <laughs> yeah. I, I love the videos you see of you know, these officers that are, get called into a situation and a bunch of kids playing basketball. And, Man, they go, you know, out there and play ball with them, yeah. you know. And you see this this officer that does not really fit into this group of people, right. and he's out there getting to know him. And once all mm-hmm. of a sudden, you know, you have a community um, officer relationship, and it, I, I think yes. in the long run, those take. So I think more of a part we need to take more time doing that kind of stuff too. Right. So. Because when you have a relationship, it changes everything. I keep yes. on comparing this to to working as a staff at the Boys and Girls Club because when I first went in there and I didn't know the kids. I would try to enforce, even though it's different than the way that a peace officer enforces. I was a staff there. I was in charge of kind of the same thing because I was there to take care of the kids, make sure they're safe, make sure they have a good time. And when I would ask them to do something, when they didn't know me and I didn't know them, like, forget about it. There's no way that they're going to listen to me. Yeah. But later on, as I started to build a relationship with each one of the kids, and I memorized each one of the kids' names, and I, maybe I met their mom when their mom came to pick them up, just as we started to build those relationships now it's it's a relationship where they know that if i ask them to do something then it's for their best interest and they they start to do it we actually had a situation at the boys and girls club where it was a intense situation where there was a dangerous person who shouldn't be there who came there and it was scary it was scary for everybody all the kids were scared all the staff were scared but because we had that relationship everybody was able to be safe and the person was able to be taken care of with the help of law enforcement. And the, the relationships that we had there, if I didn't have those, then I don't know if I would have been able to make it through that. I don't know if I would have been able to uh, 
um, direct all the kids inside where they were safe. But it's very important. I'm glad that we did have those relationships. Yeah, it's it's a key part. Um, mm-hmm. And it's hard because, you know, typically in the U.S., there's one officer for every 5,000 people. So try to build a relationship wow. with 5,000 people. Yeah. But at the same time, it, you don't have to know every individual. You just have to know yes. kind of the mentality of the group as a whole. Right. Um, and it helps a lot. And that's part of being, you know, being out in it and being part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, just another experience from the club. It's crazy how much I'm comparing these. Uh, we get new kids every so often. And we got a new a new club member. And I showed up to work that day. She didn't know me. I didn't know her. I didn't even know her name. But all of her friends, when they saw me pull up, already were my friends. And so they ran up to me and they greeted me and they gave me a hug. She didn't even know me, but she ran up and gave me a hug. Because yep. the community trust there. Yeah, friend by association. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the same. You're going to go the same way. Yeah. So, and you build ties. It's a web. It's a big spider web, you know, of, of relations and stuff like that. And that's where usually community policing base is based off of that. So mm-hmm. you work usually with community leaders. And then your relationship with them trickles down to the people that they work with. And it's it's a really good idea. It works really well. You just got to have corroboration between all the, you know, the mm-hmm. community leaders as well as the officers. And it's so. going to take both sides to... To change and to open our minds a little bit to make that happen. It, it does. Yeah. Like I said, we all have biases. We all have these right. preconceived notions that are sometimes accurate, sometimes inaccurate, and mm-hmm. we need to learn how to work around those. So yeah, yeah. Well, thanks very much for being on. I think this has been a great conversation. A lot of good insights. I know that I'm gonna um, think a little bit deeper into the way that I act in my community and maybe the biases that I have after this conversation. Um, so one final question. You already mentioned how um, these issues are, are really going to be solved in the home. And I know you have three daughters and you have a great relationship with them. I admire you as a parent. What do you do in your home to sort of nurture that spirit of cooperation and of empathy and understanding between all people, even people that are different than you, so that then your kids can go out in the world and, and love people? Um, I think uh, a lot of mine is trial and error. We've tried several things. One of my favorite things I've done with my girls is they like to fight with each other, you know, as, as siblings do. Right. And I, I finally thought one day, I was like, there's so much that you need to be grateful for for one another. So one day they're arguing really bad, and I made them sit in chairs across from one another. Mm-hmm. And they had to sit there for about 15 minutes and think about things they liked about the other person. Wow. And I know that's kind of a simple thing, yeah. but at the same time, are we doing that in our adult lives? You know, are we going yeah. out and we're looking at these people that we don't understand or we disagree with and always thinking, what good are they doing? Because mm-hmm. I think sometimes we see only the negative and yeah. we really need to look at the positive as well. Um, and, you know, different groups within our society, they all have their benefits. That's what makes America great is right. we are a melting pot of ideas and culture and abilities and all of that. People. And yeah. as long as we're trying to work towards the same goals, those different parts, those different facets of society are super important. They're fundamental yes. in how we, how we function as, as people. So I think within my own home, if I can get my children to understand more about other people and different ideas, mm-hmm. not that they have to agree with them, but to at but least understand them and to look at them with an open eye, um, that's what I really hope to, to impress upon my children. That's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. Just the communication between law enforcement, peace officers, and the people. Because we're all people, and we're all working for the same thing. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. Thanks, Josh. This has been great having Josh Ivins on. I know that my audience was really excited when I said that I was going to have somebody involved with law enforcement on the podcast during this time when there's a lot of tension and when there's a real need to unite and to understand each other. So thanks for doing that for me. No problem.
Well, have a good day. See ya.